All right. Praise the Lord. Please open your Bibles tonight with me to the book of Matthew, chapter number 11. And please keep your Bibles open as we'll be looking at some other passages tonight. And we will do our best to help you tonight through the Word of the Lord. I believe that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I believe it is able to discern the thoughts and the intents of my heart. I believe that it's a mirror. I believe it's able to, you know, just kind of show me how things really are and what I truly am. That is the good and the bad. And I pray, appreciate the Lord giving us His holy book. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter number 11 and verse number 28. I have uh, preached last Sunday on the subject of pride. And uh, when pride cometh, then cometh shame. And I ask you this question, what you're going to do when pride comes for you? And this morning I spoke to you about the antidote for pride. And that antidote is a person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. And He would have you to learn of Him. And I think that would be wise on our part, to learn more about the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that He is the perfect example of humility. And remember now, Jesus was a man who was meek and lowly. And yet He was a man who also could get angry, righteous indignation, righteous indignation being that He got angry for the right reasons. And the Lord Jesus was willing to stand against men when it required Him to do so. And so when you talk about humility, uh, you're talking about what the world calls that and what the Bible calls that is not always uh, the same. But here's the thing about it, is that if you know a man is truly meek and humble and lowly in spirit, and you know that you've got to deal with him, you know that if you can show him or talk to him, about anything, you know that he will eventually yield himself to what the Lord has to say. If you can prove it to him and show it to him and say, here's what the Bible says and here's what God expects out of you, then in that man's heart, in that woman's heart, they say, okay, then that's what I'm going to do. And boy, I tell you what, it takes a load off of you making a whole lot of decisions if you let God make some of the decisions for you. I promise you. Look at Matthew 11. And I'm talking about in your family. I'm talking about in your finances. And I'm talking about in your spiritual walk with God. Okay? Uh, Matthew 11, verse number 28. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. If you're here tonight and your heart is heavy and you are burdened, i got news for you. Man, there's someone who can help you tonight. And his name is Jesus Christ our Lord. You don't have to be 75 years old to be laden down with burdens. You don't have to be 45. You can be 15 and have a heavy heart. And so you just come to Jesus. You come to Him by faith. And look in verse number 29. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And no matter how you spin it, a yoke is something that you place on someone and you control them and you direct them. Okay? And He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He says, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Jesus cannot lie. He's not being prideful. He's not being arrogant. He is just being transparent. He said, I, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And he says, and you shall find rest unto your souls. He said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so let's pray and then let's search some more scriptures. Father, would you help me tonight? 
I love you. I love these people. Lord, I thank you for them. And I pray tonight that you'd use your servant as a vessel, as a funnel. Lord, help me, I pray, to to make the Scriptures very clear and plain. And Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit would work in our service and in our hearts. And once again tonight, I pray for our people that they would mix faith with what they hear and that they would be doers of the Word of God and not hearers of it only. And may, Lord, they begin to think differently. May they begin to do differently according to your precious Word. May they choose to humble themselves that you might draw nigh to them and give them grace and power and purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to look back over to Matthew chapter 4 real quick with me for just a moment. I want to show you something about the attitude of Jesus. I want to have his attitude. I want to have his disposition. I really, really do. And uh, Matthew chapter number 4, Jesus is tempted by the devil, and the devil is going to come for you. I can even tell you, biblically, at times, of when I know he's coming for you, according to to the Word of God, back in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, number uh, 7, I believe it is, where he talks about the home, and he talks about the relationship between a husband and wife, and how that if they don't deal with things correctly, the adversary is coming after them. If, and, 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 and for a young preacher, uh, if he, he gets full of himself, and then and it's after he, and he is full of vanity, and he's looking, you know, he's got... Uh, Ears like cab doors, you know, listening and beep, 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 beep. What are they saying about me? Are they praising me? Are they criticizing me? You can't live like that. It's not about you. It's about him. And that's not just young preachers. That's all of us. That's the older preachers as well. But in Matthew 4, Jesus said, devil, here's my answers to you. And so when he says in verse number 4, when he tempted Jesus to turn the, the, the stones into bread, he said, i got news for you. He said, I... I'm going to submit myself to the authority of the Word of God. Now, that separates everybody in here. Either you're on one side or the other. Now, either you are going to agree with the Word of God or you are going to go about your own way. And some of you are, are going to do it passively, if you might say. You're not going to blow up and say, I'm not, I, I don't care what that Bible says. I'm going to do what I want to do. No, many of you are not going to do that. Instead, you're going to be sort of like Saul... And you're going to look at a situation, and you're going to figure it out, and you're going to do what you think is best, even though the Lord has already made it very clear what He wants you to do. And you know what Samuel told him? He said, uh, I believe he said that uh, stubbornness is as iniquity, and I believe as idolatry. And he said rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. And so you don't look at yourself, but that's the way God looks at it. And so you know what he said? He said, hey, listen, this man has turned from following me. So I'm going to take the kingdom away from him. It's a very serious thing from God, with the Lord. When you replace your own will for his will, you have ceased to be humble. You have ceased to walk in humility. You have chosen to believe that your way is above God's way, 
and that you are wiser than him, you are smarter than him, and therefore you will find that the end result of that will be a fall, a heavy burden, trouble, strife, division, contention, unhappiness, no rest for your soul. That sounds like a loser's way. I don't want to go that direction. And if I'm going in that direction, now listen, you know, it, sometimes if you're not used to driving around Houston, they don't have everything marked real good in some places, especially where they're doing work. And if you get off on the wrong road, don't be too stubborn to say, hey, you know what? I'm on the wrong road. Are you going to be so stubborn and say, there's no way I'm on the wrong road. Texas has got to be wrong. Huh? And you just keep on going. That's foolish. You just get off of it, you turn around, but sometimes it takes longer to turn around in some places than it does others. You agree? And I'm just saying that sometimes when you make a bad decision, it's hard to get back where you were. You know why? Because of pride. All right. But Jesus said, I will do what the Bible says. And then when he came back with him and quoted him a scripture... Out of context, he said, yeah, but I'm going to follow the Scriptures in its accuracy. I'm going to do actually what... Here's what I prefer for you. You're fixing to make a decision. And maybe you don't know the exact chapter and verse and book. But you've heard enough preaching that you know what the will of God is in that situation. And so you make your decision based upon what you know is the will of God because you have heard the word of God and it's in your heart. You say, well, I know what the Lord wants me to do right here. And the Holy Spirit will do that for you, by the way. He'll bring a message back to your heart that you've heard. He'll bring back something to your mind and say, here's what you need to do. He'll do that for you if you want to do what's right. But the third thing tonight, and we want to, we want to launch off from that, is where Jesus made this statement. And Satan came to him in verse number 9. Now, he showed him the whole world and the kingdoms of it. I mean, he's really showing him you can bypass the cross if you want to. I'll give you all this. I'll sign it over to you. In verse 9, he said unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written... Again, Jesus using the scriptures. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only, only shalt thou serve. Jesus Christ, as a man, knew His place, and He was determined to stay in it. And He was going to do the will of God, and honor Him, and glorify Him, and worship Him, and serve Him only by submitting Himself. Now watch this. I want you to turn quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Let's go to your home, okay? Let's see how this works in the home. Follow the pattern of Jesus in your home. Follow the pattern of Jesus in your home. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Look at this. He said in verse 1, Be ye followers of me, this is Paul speaking, even as I also am of Christ. 
Paul has determined that he is going to follow hard after Christ. He has learned of him. He has taken that yoke upon him to follow after Christ. Now watch verse 2. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I deliver them to you. A positive statement to them. But he says, but I would have you know, now look at this, that the head of every man is who? Men, you have a head. And that head he's referring to is an authority over you. And that authority is Jesus Christ our Lord. Now watch how this follows. He said, and the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. So Jesus is not asking you to do anything that he himself has not done. He has yielded himself to the authority of God the Father. And he's basically saying, "It is I came here to do his will not mine, and that's exactly what he did. Now, let's look at this in your home here. looks to me like it's pretty laid out, pretty simple here. Now, look what he says. Now, I'm going to need you to believe the Bible. If I were to read this on Fox News, it would go ballistic. Amen? If I were to read this in the local high school, they'd run me out. If I was in a, at a college reading what I'm fixing to read to you, if I went to Texas A&M and I read this in a, in a, in a, in a group of, of young people, many of them would just mock me because we live in a generation that has despised the Word of God and is so full of pride and arrogancy. Look what he says. And by the way, that's the root problem of Sodom and Gomorrah. When we get to Genesis 19, the root of their problem was pride. The reason why they've lived a perverted lifestyle is because... The root problem was pride. All right, look at this. He says here that there is, a, there is, a, there is a, a place for each of us and there is a purpose for each of us. If I am a humble man, then I will submit myself and agree that Jesus Christ is my head. And if He's my head... It means that he gets to call the shots. He's the one who makes the decisions. And I yield myself to his authority. I think we all agree with that. It's when we get down to the next section that we struggle with sometimes. Now, but there's more to that about you yielding yourself to Christ. And he says here, then he says, and the head of the woman is the man. Now, this is in a marriage here, of course. The head of the woman is the man. Do, ladies, do you, do you consider yourself to be a woman that is a humble woman, a meek woman that pleases the Lord, like Sarah, who had a meek and quiet spirit? Now, that means that you agree that your husband 
is the head of your home. Now, I realize that I'm in a better position than you are because my head makes no mistakes. And he's always faithful. The problem with you is is that you're, you're having to look at a head that's imperfect. But you need to pray for him that he would yield to his head. And by the way, if he refuses to yield to his head, then appeal to his head. I'm talking about the one that's over him in your situation. And because there is one higher than your husband, your husband is not the ultimate authority. Your pastor is not the ultimate authority. The Lord Jesus Christ is the ultimate authority. And if anyone were to ask you to violate that headship, that anything that He has commanded or wanted you to do, you have the right to appeal to that authority. You understand? I hope that you do. But until then, if it's a matter of calling shots at the house, you need to do your very best to submit yourself to the headship. Again, this listen, if you don't do this, then the pride is going to break your home apart. It will. If the man's not going to follow Christ, he's going to be the first crack. Amen? But if you've got a man trying to follow Christ and you've got a woman who refuses to follow his headship, she's going to create a crack in that home. And it's going to be some division and some contention and there won't be any peace and rest in the house. You know something, Ephesians 5 describes it like this. It says that uh, basically that the man is the head and his job and responsibility, you agree, is to provide for his family. And the second area there is the woman who is to submit herself to her husband. And by, by the way, humility and meekness and lowliness is always equated with submission and obedience. So we're talking about you recognizing the headship of Christ. And ladies, your life would be a lot easier and a lot more peaceful if you'd let the Lord take care of some of the things in your husband than you trying to correct him and chastise him and change him. Hold on just a minute. Amen, Brother Roger. Of course, that's a hard thing to say amen to for anybody right there, you know. But here's the thing about it. The, the man is the head. He's to provide. I mean, that's the key for a man is to provide. The, the, the woman is the heart of the home, and she is to guide the home. The, guide the home. And the children are the hope of the home, and they are to abide in the home. And what I mean abide in the home, I'm talking about abide by their authority, abide by their rules, and your life will be so easy. You just do what you're told until you're old enough to tell others what to do. And when does that come? When you're no longer putting your feet under the table. And you're on your own. So this is really very simple. Did you know that God said in Isaiah 3 that one of the signs of the judgment of God upon a nation that's about to go under is when the folks become so prideful that women move from their place and children move from their place. And the Bible says 
Here's what Isaiah said. He said, it's for my people. Children are their oppressors. Meaning that the children, instead of being a blessing, they were a burden. That they were oppressing their parents. They were a burden and always trying to put something on their parents and manipulate their parents and, and rule and run the house. That's a bad thing for a teenager because you're going to be a very unhappy individual. That home is a microcosm where you are safe and you can find out the reality of life. But when you get outside of that, you're going to find the world doesn't care anything about you. It'll eat you up, chew you up, and spit you out. It cares nothing for you. Brother Robert Bottom pleaded with our teenagers when he was here. When he saw what was going on down in the prisons and how that those kids that were coming in there were just being, being eaten by animals... He begged you to stay in your home and stay in your place. Your home is critical to the Lord. Now look at this, all right? Notice down here in verse number uh, 7, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and the glory of God, and the woman is the glory of the man. This is where I see peaceful homes that prosper is when I see a man living for God and a woman living for her man. Now I want you to think that through. As he is following Christ, she is following him. That right there makes for a good household. And it's about an attitude and a spirit that whereas... Whereas a woman acknowledges the authority of her husband and when there has to be a decision made, that man prays about it or he seeks counsel and he says, Honey, I think that this is what the Lord would have us to do. That will give a woman much confidence and much peace in her heart. If she knows that her husband is not perfect, but he is trying to make the right decision and she's confident that he's making the best decision in her best interest. That's love. Doing what is in another person's best interest. Not doing what the anger or the pride, etc. motivates you to do. But I pray that you would humble yourself. Follow after Christ, men. Preachers will come and preachers will go in your life. But Christ will always be your head. Pastors come and pastors go. Pastors live and pastors die. Christ will always be your head. Follow Him with all of your heart. And that's why Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, you follow Christ. But notice, this is very critical tonight in your home, that you would yield yourself. Let's read on just a moment, just a little bit more. Look down at verse 8. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man... What does that mean? Hmm? It means who came first. What came first, the chicken or the egg? The chicken did. God created all things and said, this is good. What, What was created first, man or woman? Man. And the Bible says here, For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Verse 9, Neither was the man created for the woman. And some of you guys that think you're God's gift to women, the Bible says you're not. (laughs) 
It says, neither was the man created for the woman, but it says the woman for the man. I need you to believe the Bible. I don't need you to bow up. I don't need you to reason it out. I don't need you to go back to the original languages and justify your position. I just need you to believe the Word of God. That you would get in your place, find your place, maintain your purpose in your life. And boy, you'll find some peace. You'll find some ease. You're trusting God. God, this is the way you, this is what you made me for. We live in a warped generation. We live in a crazy generation that doesn't know what a marriage is, doesn't know what a male or a female is. We live in a very warped, ungodly, rebellious, prideful generation. But we don't have to be that way. But also their homes are falling apart and they are, we should not be like them. May God help us in this area of submitting ourselves to our head. But let me show you another place. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 4. I want to publicly thank my wife for loving me and trusting me as her head. We've been married for, what is it, honey, now what, 60 years? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, I didn't get married when I was four. But she has been such a blessing. And, and, and just the other day, she called me. And uh, one of our daughters was making a decision about something and that, that, that uh, impacted her. And uh, she said, what, what, what do you think that, that I should do or... I wanted your opinion on this. Now, I think she said, is it okay with you? That's what she said. Is it okay with you if I do this? And I said, yes, it is okay. But before we hang up the phone, I want to thank you for your attitude. I want to thank you for calling me and asking me if it was okay rather than going ahead and making that decision on your own. That would impact both of us. Now, that's the attitude that I'm talking about. She said, you know what? And sometimes, though, she uses me to make decisions that she doesn't want to make also. Amen? And say, well, it's your fault. If it don't work out, it's your fault. If it works out, it was her idea. You understand? That's how that goes. I love her. She is precious to me, and I thank God for her. And I'm going to tell you as a church now, you should appreciate her as your pastor's wife. Because I'm telling you, buddy, she's been a support here. For me, she does so many good things here at the church. And I thank God for her. And uh, you haven't had to correct her or worry about her, what she's up to. And I appreciate her very much. I do. And so I pray tonight that you would see this. Look at 1 Timothy chapter number 6, please. Now, I want to talk to you about your money. Can I talk to you about your finances? Because usually there's two things that you need counsel for usually has something, that, well, three things. One of them usually has to do with your family, and, and I appreciate you calling and asking me and seeking counsel about that. I will pray for you, and I ask God every day for godly wisdom to help you. I promise you I do. The second area is usually you have to make a financial or business decision, and I thank some of you men for calling me up and saying, hey, what do you think? Even though I may not know anything about that area, it's sort of like Paul was on that ship. He had perception of what they needed to do. And he said, we better not sail, boys, because we're fixing to go into a storm. And they wouldn't listen to him because he wasn't a professional meteorologist. 
Your pastor doesn't have to be a professional anything to have perception from the Lord. And so some of you men call for counsel. Say, Brother Rod, do you see anything wrong with this? Am I doing something wrong? Can, is there blind spots? And then listen, I appreciate that. I really do. But I want to talk to you about your money and your finances. First, first, first uh, uh, Timothy chapter number 6. Do you think it's important to God how you earn your money? Hmm? Okay. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 4 because this chapter, primarily most of this chapter is about money. It's a pastoral epistle. Paul is writing to Timothy and talking to him about how to deal with the men in the church about money. 1 Timothy 6, look in verse number 4. Notice right there, right there at verse 4, he says, He is what? Proud. Who is he talking about? Hmm, let's see. It said he is proud, but look at this. He says, knoweth nothing. But doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. That means they will not yield themselves to the word of God. They have suppositions rather than scripture. Supposing that gain is godliness. If they're making a profit, they believe that it's of God. For such withdraw thyself. Alright, now let's look at the context of that about your money. Alright, and you yielding yourself. Because if there's anything that causes us to be nervous and upset and lack of rest and peace, it usually has to do with our finances. Ladies, do your husband, does he change his Countenance, does he change his mood? Does it swing back and forth based upon how things are going financially? Some men don't worry about anything. And that would worry me. If you don't care enough to be concerned about what's going on financially, that would worry me. I'll be honest with you. But look in 1 Timothy. First of all, your finances, how we earn it matters to God. Your attitude at work You need to get up every morning and submit yourself and subject yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and go to work with the attitude that He commands you to have. The only thing you can adjust is your attitude sometimes at work. You say, well, Brother Roger, I can't help my attitude. I don't believe that. My father, my earthly father, was very good at adjusting my attitude in a few minutes. And I could sometimes, and I'm not talking about just spanking, sometimes he just give me that look. And man, my attitude changed immediately. But look here. He says this. How we earn it, that's an attitude. Do you believe the workplace is a mission field? It is the greatest mission field, really, for you. So, look at this. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. So whatever you're doing there is reflecting how a Christian should be different than a lost man on the job. And it's about how you talk about your company, and it's how you talk about your boss. You ought to thank God that somebody hired you. You ought to thank God that you have a job. He said, well, Brother Roger, you don't work where I work. No, I don't. 
But you were looking for a job when you got that one. And you have it now and you agreed to it. Now, serve with all your heart. Do your very best you can. If Joseph can do it in prison, you can do it in America. Amen? Now look, he said do it for the right reason so that the word of God will not be blasphemed. All right? So do it for Christ's sake. Do it for Christ's sake. He's your head. And if your boss is a bad boss, be even a better employee. And ask and pray to God. Now look look in verse number 2. It says, and they that have believing masters. Oh, you've got, maybe you work for a man in the church. You know, it's a shame that it's difficult sometimes for some of the men who have their own businesses that they, they, they struggle sometimes with hiring men from the church because sometimes men from the church can expect things or will expect things from somebody that because they are brethren. And so they will expect special treatment or they will expect higher wages or different treatment or lower expectations. And the Lord said, uh-uh, don't you go to work with that attitude. He says down here in verse 2, And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit these things teach and exhort. My job is to tell you that. Now listen, you, wanna, you want to, pride says, man, I ain't doing that. But, but a humble man thanks God for his job. And listen, I do. I appreciate those of you who have your own business, but those some of you, and there are several of you that do. But those of you who are employed, be the best employee that they've got. Let you be different. All right. Now watch this. Now again, he says in verse number three, if any man teach otherwise, it looks to me like brother, Ed, there's no option here for teaching here. He says, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to hold some words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he's a proud man. And he's going to cause division. He's going to leave church and say, well, I, don't, I don't care what that preacher says. He don't live in the real world. He don't know what it's like out here. And so the scripture says, is that he will cause some envy and some strife, and he'll even rail about some of the things that he hears, because he will not consent And that word consent, that means that you yield. It means you agree with God about this. Do you realize that God uses money to raise children? He trains us with our finances. He chastens us with our finances because it gets our attention. Jesus used a parable one time and he said this. He said that this guy... Uh, went out and hired some men. Let's just say he hired them at 6 o'clock in the morning. And he agreed to pay them a, a certain amount of money. Let's say he said, I'm gonna, listen, I'm going to pay you for the day. I'm going to hire you for the day, and I'm going to pay you. Let's say he's going to pay him 100 bucks for the day. Well, the day goes on, and about till 4 o'clock, they're going to quit at 6. They start at 6, they're going to quit at 6. About 4 o'clock, things are still not getting done. He goes out there, and he sees some more guys out there on the corner at Home Depot looking for some work. He hires a couple of more of them, and he says, guys, listen, I'm in, a, I'm, in a, I'm in a bind here. I need you to work here. He says, just come on and work with me the next couple of hours, and I'll also give you a hundred bucks. That's Jesus' story. And when the, when the 
day was done and the guys are getting the $100 bills. The guys that worked for two hours got $100. The guys that worked for 12 hours got $100. And the guys that worked for 12 hours said, what are you doing? That's not right. You owe us. Now, what's wrong with that picture right there? Number one is I'm the owner. What I do with my money is none of your business. And you agreed to work for me for $100 a day. So whatever I do with anybody else, that's none of your business. What I do with mine is my own business. And he says, I said I wanted to hire these guys. I paid them. Hey, don't be, he said, don't be angry with me because of my goodness and my mercy towards somebody else. But the bottom line was is that they felt, um, you might say, envious or they might have even felt a little entitled there. A sense of entitlement. By the way, what Jesus was also teaching is that's not a, that, that a workplace is not government controlled. And it's not union controlled. That it's ownership controlled. Amen. And so what you're looking at here, by the way, fellas, I want to say to you men who work and help each other and be a blessing to others here, you, we've got so much talent here and skill and knowledge. We're blessed. If a brother's in a bind or a brother needs you and he asks you to work for him or come and do something for him or you find out that he has a need and, and whatever, however, however it works out where you go and you work at his place, You need to make sure that y'all have clear communication at the front of that thing. Okay? Because expectations can create some division. All right? If you volunteer your labor, okay, then don't criticize that brother two months later for not paying you for the work. But if those men are coming there and they are working to be a blessing to you, all right, then at least say thank you. At least try to be a blessing to them. And if anything else, at least offer them something. And if they turn it down, that's their, that's on them, but at least offer them something. And I'm not talking about chocolate pie. I'm talking about money. There is something wrong with a man who uses his brother and pays him no wages. And he does that constantly by moving around and finding a different brother so he can use him, get cheap labor and not get anything and get things done so he can save money so he can buy him something else. But it's another thing that if I just want to be a blessing to you and I, and I want to come and be an encouragement to you and I want to give you back for what you've given me in some other areas of my life. Don't have an entitlement attitude and the use of the brethren. Matter of fact, there was a man that showed up here a couple of years ago in the parking lot. Some of you men were here on a work day. And he was taking a building down right over here that belonged to him. And he was angry at, at us for not going over there and helping him take down his building. I mean, chewing on all of us. You remember that, Brother Lorne? He chewed on one of our men, then he started chewing on me. But the problem with that is, is that I knew the whole story in that I knew that the text dot had given him money to be able to hire somebody to take that building down. But he didn't want to pay somebody to take that building down. 
He wanted to put that money in his pocket and he wanted you to take it down for him for free. That's exactly the way it went. And so, he was offended at East River Baptist Church. And I'm just saying that there's an offense that's unjustified. Amen? And so I'm just saying that sometimes, man, you just got to let a fool rail and move on. He said, Brother Roger, that's not a very nice thing to say. This is the real life. You like real stuff that's out there? That's real stuff. That's the way it works. That's the way some people are. And quit poor-mouthing all the time so that you can get something for free. Amen? And so, if you're always broke, now I'm not, listen, there's exceptions to this. But if you're always broke, you have got a serious problem inside. The problem's not outside, the problem's inside. Because what will happen is, God looks at you, now look at this, okay, I need to, y'all have used up my time again. 1 Timothy chapter 6, you know what money will do? Is God will use it to evaluate you. Can he trust you with it? Hmm? Is it a treasure of our heart or is it a tool in our hand? Can we live within our means and be content? Pride says, I refuse to act my wage. And I will live in debt my whole life and continue to overload myself with debt, and if I can't deal with it, then I will simply go bankrupt and start over again because I'm not intending on ever paying what I always run up. That's nothing but stinking pride. you got to learn to live within your means. You've probably heard this before. I spend money. Some folks do. I spend money that I do not have on things that I do not need to impress people that I do not like. That's pride. It's vanity. I know some of you are probably aware of this because you've seen them as much as I have. I got some suits that are 18, 20 years old. I got some nice jackets I got at Goodwill. You only going to see me for about an hour or two on Sunday, so why spend all that money on some clothes when they got a lot of stuff at Academy I need for fishing? Amen? <laughs> and I can catch fish and feed my family. You understand? And I'm just saying that sometimes, though, folks, listen, live within your means. I'm 64. And I finally have a decent boat. But I had to wait for 50 years. Some of you guys, you want one. And you're 24. And so if you're not careful, you go out there and you get yourself in deep debt. And I promise you one thing, boats do not escalate or appreciate, they depreciate. 
You understand? I'm just saying that, hey, wait on some things. You probably, you could care less if you ever got a boat, right? But some of you may want something else. Wait. Work for it. And by the way, I think too that God looks at you when your finances, when it comes to these things. Gentlemen, listen, don't waste your money on vain things when your children need things and your wife needs things. Don't waste money on stuff like that. Don't do that. The Bible says that when I was a child, I spake as a child. I want to say this. When I was a child, I spent like a child. I worked hard, a dollar an hour, 12 hours a day in the field on a tractor. And they'd pay us cash at the, on Saturday every two weeks. And man, I'd have over a hundred and something dollars in my hand. And by the middle of the week, it was gone. Had to start over again. And, I, and listen, what did I spend it on? I'd go up to the Firestone place and I'd look at their mag wheels. And I'd say, I want these mag wheels on my car. And I would charge it. And then I'd go up there and make payments, and I did pay them. And then I'd, so I'd find out that my buddy had a, this quadraphonic stereo in his car. Quadraphonic means that there's four speakers and stuff going in all, every direction. And so I said, well, i got to have one of them. So I'd go charge that, and I'd work, and I'd pay it. It's a wonder that the girl there didn't ask me to marry as much as I come up there and gave her money. <laughs> it was all about Vanity. I put some tires on the back of it, abnormally wide, and then I saw somebody else with some that were that wide, so I went and got some that wide. Some M50s. Y'all don't know what those are, but those are pretty wide tires. Put traction bars on it. Some of you boys don't know what that is, but that's some stuff you put underneath the car that you don't need driving down the road. But they sure look sharp. They look like a dragster. So I went and got some, paid them off. I stayed broke all the time. But boy, my ride looked good. You see what I'm saying? (laughs) Stayed broke. When I was a child, I spit as a child. And buddy, I'm telling you what, when I got saved, I told my pastor, I said, man, listen, I'd heard about the rapture, though the Lord might come back any day, and I believed it. And I said, pastor, I said, you can, you can, they had bus ministries and all that stuff. They do promotes. I said, hey, you can have that car. And I meant it. I said, you can have that car, and you can use it as a raffle. You can give it away, whatever. He, he was wise enough to know that, that, that I shouldn't do that. And, but I was willing to do it. I gave it up. And when I got married, I gave up my boyish, childish ways and became a man. And realized that God wanted me to take care of my wife because Jesus was my head. And he said, now you provide and then you're second, buddy. You take care of her. You take care of them kids. I worked three jobs when I was in Louisiana to take care of them kids, and I didn't regret a minute of it. And I'm just telling you that your money and how you earn it, you yield yourself, you make yourself available. The people out there are looking for somebody right now that they can trust. Pass a drug test, show up on time. And just do their job. Do what they're told. You say, well, I don't want to work the rest of my life. If you're a man, that's your lot. (laughs) Until you get old enough to retire. If you get to do that. But I'm just saying that the Lord wants you to understand the seriousness. Let's move on here and let's close here. 
All right, look what he says. He says in verse 7, For we brought nothing in this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. What, what money will do is, and ambition, is it will dim reality and distort eternity in your mind. Look what he says. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Now here's where the desire to be rich brings your danger. For they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and a many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money, not the lack of money, the love of money is the root of all evil. And the Bible says that some of you who have been faithful to God and God's blessed you, God's taken good care of you, He's prospered the work of your hands, you've been heavy givers at East River. We just passed a record for this time of the year at East River this past Sunday. We went over $400,000 for missions this year. We've never done that this time of the year. And God has blessed you in giving. And when somebody finds out that you've done this, they ask me, what size of church do you have? They think we're running a couple thousand people. And I said, well, we are running a couple of thousand, but we're only catching about 200 of them. Do you understand? And I'm just saying that you, you are heavy givers. And God has richly blessed many of you. And I want to testify the goodness of God. And I believe that every time I've needed a roof, God has provided for me. This hailstorm had recently happened. My insurance came by and said, you need a new roof, we're going to take care of it. And I'm excited about that. God takes good care of me in those areas. And I'm just saying that the Lord will, if you will trust Him, look down here in verse number 17, real quickly. He says, charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not what? What's that word? High-minded. Nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. We have no idea when this whole thing is going to blow apart. Let's just be faithful to the end. Let's do what we can while we can. But I don't want to lose the, the, the concept of this message is about pride and humility in your family and in your finances. Trust God with your finances. Do it God's way. Work hard. Show up on time. Be faithful. Be trustworthy. Accept your lot in life as a man, as Adam was told the curse is. And listen, work is not a curse. It's the difficulty sometimes of it. That's a curse. But work is not a curse. The Bible says, by the way, that if you're not willing to work, you shouldn't eat. Amen? And so I want to encourage you to yield yourself to God. And he says in verse 17, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. And verse 18 says that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. This is where sometimes your ambition to get and to get and to get, it loses its perspective. Verse 19 says, laying up in store. And that means you're a giver and you're investing in eternity. That's what that means. You believe that. And I do appreciate your giving. But I do want you to understand that God looks so many times at your finances and he looks and says, are you willing to live within your means? Or if you live outside your means, it's going to bring some unrest into your home 
stress upon your mind and your heart. Quit comparing yourselves to other people. One of the worst things that ever happened in America is the Sears and Roebuck catalog. I'm serious. People sat at home that were poor but happy, and they got the Sears and Roebuck catalog, started flipping through those pages, and realized what they did not have and could no longer appreciate what they did have. There used to be a guy that came by our house when I was just a young lad, probably when I was 8, 9, 10 years of age. He'd come by our house in a, in a van, and Mama called him the coffee man. Now, I don't know why she called him that. I think he sold Standard Coffee. I think he had a Standard Coffee company. But inside that van, he had all kinds of stuff in there. I mean, and a catalog with clothes in it and, uh, and fishing supplies and things like that. And he was always trying to sell Mama something. He never showed up when Dad was there. And, and, and he tried to sell and sometimes it even try to sell it on time. Y'all know what that means on time? You charge it. We get those catalogs, and I would look at those guys in those nice-looking polo shirts and slacks, and then I'd go back and look at my clothes. And you know what it created in me? That, I, that wasn't there? A discontentment. And a dissatisfaction with what I had. And I'm here to tell you that if you're not careful, you will develop an attitude of ingratitude for what God has richly blessed you with. If you're not content with what you have, and you can't be satisfied with the best, and you're doing your best, and you can't be content with that, you're never going to be peaceful in your home and have some happiness in your home. I pray that you look at your finances. I pray you look at your family. Have I got everything in order? And Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. He said, if you'll get in order in your home and stay in that and trust me that I'll work. And if you'll get yourself in order at work and earning your money and how you pay your bills and how you spend your money, I think God cares about how I earn it, how I save it, how I spend it, how I give it. I think He cares. And it reflects our pride. It does. Because according to 1 Timothy 6, the Bible says this man in verse number 4 says, Mm-mm, I don't agree with that. I don't care what the Bible says. And there was a man, a Cajun man, in South Louisiana. I preached this message, uh, similar to this message, one night. And he said, I need to talk to you after church. We went in my office. And he began to rail at me and said, you don't know what it's like out there. I work for a union. If I do what you say according to what the Bible says, then they're going to burn my house down. They're going to throw bricks through my window, all this kind of stuff. And he railed at me pretty good about it. I said, listen, man, I didn't write this. And I said, this says trust the living God. You trust the living God. And that's what you have to do is trust Him, obey Him. Are you a humble man? Are you a proud man? Are you a humble woman or a proud woman? Are you a humble teenager or are you a proud teenager? Can you abide at home without creating drama and tension? Can you yield to the authority of mom and dad 
Though you may not agree with their rules, you may not agree with the process of what they want to do, can you not yield yourself and trust God that He'll work in them through you, to, through you, to, through them? And that is you trusting. And you'll never be a happy teenager if you don't. The Lord Jesus Christ went back to His house as a 12-year-old and subjected Himself to His parents. He was smarter than them, wiser than them, and holier than them. And He subjected Himself to them. He's your example of humility. Amen? Let's stand together, please. I pray you'll bless the Word of God to our hearts tonight. May our people receive it, believe it. And Lord, where we're prideful, when they go home tonight and they kneel beside their bed, I pray, Heavenly Father, they'd pour their hearts out to you and say, God, please forgive me. Please forgive me of my pride. Lord, I don't want you to resist me. Lord, I need your grace. Lord, I yield myself to you and I trust you. And I will remain in my place and do that which is pleasing in your sight, trusting you to do your part in your time. Lord, would you encourage them and strengthen them in Jesus' name. Amen.